He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambinick. Good morning and welcome to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanak, covering all the cybersecurity news and tips that you need to know to keep your friends, family, and your small business safe. Uh, to connect with us online, you can visit our website at cybersecuritytodayradio.com, on Facebook or Twitter at Cybersec Radio. My personal Twitter account is at Bambanek, B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, and via email, Radio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. Uh, we do take uh, listener questions, uh, things that you want to hear about or tips uh, and things that have you concerned that we could talk about how you can protect yourself from those threats. We'll discuss them on the air to protect uh, yourself and your fellow listeners, uh, help everybody be a little bit more safer out there on the Internet. And, of course, we do have the podcast version of our show. From time to time, there may be other content on there. So whatever you use to look at podcasts, go ahead, search out for Cybersecurity Today Radio, uh, and you will find us. So top story we're going to talk about this week, uh, as we have for the past couple of weeks, uh, the Equifax breach and some more of the fallout from that. Uh, the CEO was uh, testifying, or the former CEO anyway, was testifying on Capitol Hill uh, about the breach, about what happened. Uh, very famously, somebody wore uh, a costume behind him as the Monopoly Man. So uh, you go ahead, go ahead, look on the Internet, search for Monopoly Man uh, Equifax hearing. You'll see somebody who was doing a little visual trolling there in a congressional hearing. So bravo on that person. Uh, but beyond that, beyond uh, Internet memes, uh, what also got news uh, beyond that hearing was uh, Equifax getting a no-bid uh, contract with the Internal Revenue Service uh, after the, this breach happened. So they got a $7.5 million uh, contract with the IRS, uh, first reported by uh, Politico on there. Uh, so... In essence, what this contract was was to verify verify taxpayer identity, assist in ongoing verification and validations, right? So the IRS has a need. Uh, they have a website also uh, to where you can send uh, some measure of information to it. So how do they verify you are who you say you are and so on? So the IRS, the entity that is tasked with protecting your tax records, is going to Equifax, the commercial entity that lost all of your private financial data. Or maybe not all of it, but Social Security numbers, some measure of things. So a lot of uh, concern were raised, as the IRS called it. It is a crucial, uh, critical service that cannot lapse. Uh, so they were, uh, Equifax was awarded in that. Uh, it wasn't put out to bid. So there are no competitors who even offered anything um, or had the ability to offer a better deal. So after one of the biggest data breaches, um, one of the most damaging data breaches, probably not the biggest, but one of the most damaging data breaches uh, in the history of the United States, uh, and they get uh, a multi-million dollar contract from the Internal Revenue Service to then further protect, among other things, U.S. taxpayer records. So uh, a lot of aggravation about that, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, anytime there's no bid contracts, there's always concern about that and whether 
that's on the level or there's favoritism or any number of things. Uh, but, but certainly within a couple of weeks after this big breach that the CEO, the CIO, the CSO, chief security officer, chief information officer resigned or well resigned. They retired. Right. But we're still nevertheless pushed out. Giving that same entity uh, who's got interims in those three key roles, who is being grilled by uh, probably a half dozen uh, congressional committees right now, uh, giving them that contract has left uh, a pretty sour taste in people's mouth, uh, and rightfully so. So, uh, you know, certainly, you know, that's that's the big news there. Um, we'll talk a little bit later on the show uh, about uh, the NSA and some of the, the breaches that have happened there and the lack of accountability for major security failures, uh, at least right in the commercial sector. Three, the three highest ranking executives of this company, uh, you know, had to leave their jobs. Granted, the CEO had a 90 million dollar uh, severance package, which, uh, hey, you know, wish we all could have gotten that. But. Uh, you know, at least they're no longer there. Uh, there's been a lot of major incidents uh, in the United States government. And we'll talk about uh, talk about them here in the next couple of segments where there really wasn't much accountability either. Uh, so, uh, you know, it seems like there's a different world out there uh, in terms of how the federal government uh, treats and views cybersecurity uh, and failures to uh, protect consumer or taxpayer records. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. So like I said, stay tuned for the next uh, couple of segments. We're going to have Greg Otto on from Cyberscoop.com talking about NSA breaches uh, and a little bit about this stuff uh, and the lack of accountability that that seems to be pervasive uh, in the federal government. You know, there's a little bit changing there, but still there isn't really the kind of uh, systemic change that people have been saying and campaigning on uh, our federal government. So uh, another detail that came out of the congressional hearing on Equifax is that uh, the CEO, former CEO, I should say, uh, is that, uh, you know, one IT worker, uh, you know, that they called a human error uh, in technology, uh, that they failed to realize they're running a vulnerable piece of software called Apache Struts. Uh, that uh, it was not patched uh, appropriately so that uh, criminals who scan the Internet all the time for vulnerable machines were able to find it uh, and then get into the server and ultimately to uh, your financial records. So uh, certainly this emphasizes a point that I make, right? Always make sure you're updating your operating system, your applications, your smartphones and the applications on your smartphones. When you get a notice, hey, there's an update for something, make sure... Uh, that you apply it, you know, if, if not right away, very soon, because often when updates are released, in this case for Apache struts, uh, there is also usually proof of concept code uh, that shows how to use the old vulnerable software to execute code to, to do whatever it does to compromise security. So there's a tool released often uh, that allows uh, simple people to make modifications to say, okay, I want this to steal social security numbers or install backdoors or any number of things. So when a uh, patch is released, uh, often within a day or two, you start seeing uh, machines that scan the entire Internet looking for systems that have these vulnerabilities, right? They're, they're pretty well-known IP addresses and networks. We see them all the time with honeypots. You know, uh, it's not a part of the world we can do much about or uh, network providers who don't really care uh, that their networks are being used by criminals. But... It, 
you know, uh, cybercrime is big business. People try to take advantage. And, uh, you know, whenever these new things, uh, new vulnerabilities come out, Apache Struts, Java, Flash, you know, Microsoft Word, Firefox, whatever, then criminals will often, uh, you know, find ways to exploit that before people patch. So absolutely crucial that you apply those patches as soon as they come out. Uh, that's uh, what Equifax says the problem was. They had a vulnerable piece of software uh, and somebody failed to update it. And, you know, the impact is great. In this case, 145 million uh, financial or 145 million individuals had sensitive information, social security number, address, some measure of financial information leaked uh, and could cause identity theft. Right. These small lapses can have really big impacts and um, applying updates is not hard. Right. Most people think of cybersecurity as oh, you've got up all, the, all these fancy technologies and high paid people. A lot of the time, it just comes down to simple things. When you get a pop-up on your machine that says, updates are available, do you want to download and restart your computer now, is just clicking yes or or doing that within five or ten minutes uh, to make sure that you've got the best protection possible uh, for your machine, uh, for whatever you know, you're know you using for your business, and certainly for companies like Equifax or the federal government. Right, Updating systems is key. So we're going to take a short break here. We're going to bring on Greg Otto from our digital partner, cyberscoop.com. Going to talk about some of the stuff that he's covering with uh, uh, Kaspersky, some hearings on the Department of Homeland Security and cybersecurity. Uh, So stay tuned for that. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek, and we will be right back. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Back with Bambanek on cybersecurity. And welcome back. You're listening in on Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Joining me now from cyberscoop.com, our digital partner, is Greg Otto. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Appreciate it. Good to be here. All right. So uh, this week uh, in uh, ongoing congressional hearings covering cybersecurity, uh, there's one hearing that I wanted to uh, specifically talk to you about. And I know that you reported it on uh, the Department of Homeland Security was called to answer uh, on what they're doing about cybersecurity, particularly in protecting uh, federal networks and federal policy, but certainly their uh, their role in protecting cybersecurity of the nation at large. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, what are the things that you saw coming out of this hearing? Um, right. So there was a House Homeland Security subcommittee meeting earlier this week to talk about cybersecurity within DHS. And there are just some some really big problems as far as the responsibilities are when it comes to DHS and protecting federal networks. The agency is beginning to show signs that it may not have the resources to keep up with what it needs to do. Uh, I mean, there while there has been you know significant progress on programs designed to defend federal networks, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of leadership that remains unfilled. The hiring process is still really really slow, and the overall enterprise cybersecurity 
strategy that was supposed to come out that was tied to the executive order from President Trump is late, and there's just no estimate of when it will be complete. No, as I said, there's, that's certainly uh, not good signs. I know uh, there was a team of recruiters from DHS, particularly NCCIC or NCIC, uh, on my campus a week and a half ago, I believe, two weeks ago, uh, trying okay. to hire. Uh, so I know there are people out there recruiting, but the federal hiring process is inherently slow. And when you throw security clearance on top of it, uh, I don't know if all of these are clear jobs, but I think most jobs touching anything cybersecurity is cleared uh, at least a top secret, which, you know, could be a two year process. Uh, and certainly I don't right. think you want to cut corners in that regard. Uh, but, uh, you know, that doesn't explain the high level appointments that uh, that haven't been done yet. Right. So there's two problems. It's actually getting people to do the work. Uh, and then getting people to, to lead the organizations to, to do that work. And, and in both cases, there's just uh, not enough bodies in seats uh, uh, working right now. Right. And I mean, the, this hearing, let, let's focus on, you know, the higher level hires for a moment. The hearing continued the, the drumbeat of criticism from Congress that the Trump administration has just neglected the importance of cybersecurity. And while there are leads within the National Security Council with Rob Joyce and Tom Bosser um, working on the National Security Council as well. There is no federal CIO that has been named. There is an acting one that's a holdover from the Obama administration as well. There's a holdover that is in an acting role when it comes to the federal CISO as well. And those two mm -hmm. positions operate out of uh, the Office of Management and Budget, which does a lot when it comes to overall federal policy mm -hmm. uh, in regards to the cybersecurity inside the federal agencies. And if there is no real driver at the top, the other CISOs, the agency CISOs are kind of like, we don't know what to do when it comes to how we're supposed to work and how we're supposed to move within this administration. No, no, I think that makes sense. And right, the federal CIO is the head IT guy in charge for the federal government, or at least the executive branch. The CISO is the head cybersecurity guy in charge, right, for the entire uh, executive branch of federal government. Those are two high profile positions that you don't want uh, placeholders in, uh, in essence, uh, you know, holdovers from previous roles. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're qualified people, uh, you know, but they're not necessarily Trump's people, which means they're, you know, they're not moving forward necessarily on, on any particular agenda, probably, you know, they're just more or less keeping the lights on. Right. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about the top secret clearance in this hearing, Jeanette Manfra, who is the assistant secretary for cybersecurity and communications at DHS's uh, NPPD, which is the National Program and Protection Directorate, uh, she told lawmakers that it, they're averaging about 224 days mm -hmm. to get people hired. And, you know, while that sounds long, they are going through the top secret clearance process, which I know that we, you were just mm -hmm. saying can take somewhere up to two years. So while that ha they, they've been trying to speed this up because they know they have just such a gap. But, you know, going back to what I was saying, when there's really no movement from the top of government and getting people in place, you know, that starts to trickle down uh, across the federal government. And it's a really big problem. No, no, I think so. And right there, there are definite problems that need to be addressed and they have to be addressed by the White House. I know early on uh, the end of last year, early uh, beginning of this year, I know I was approached for uh, a cybersecurity job in the executive branch and 
Uh, it, it didn't happen to be one that was interesting to me or that I thought I would be effective in. But, you know, you know, you pay the top pay scale for, you know, the senior executive service is less than I make now, not at that level. Uh, and I don't work at that level currently. Right. And uh, for some people, that's a real big problem. Right. You know, the, the amount of money you can make in the private sector is much, much higher than you can make in government. And, you know, you that eliminates some class of people uh, from from those jobs. And that's been a pervasive problem and I know there are ways to accommodate that in other fields like doctors and lawyers uh, but that requires uh, you know some leadership to make that kind of decision are they going to start paying incentives for these kind of roles right and I know that the government is looking into this now not so much in the executive branch because I mean look you, you were talking about the money thing there the government is fully aware that they're just never going to be able to compete with the private sector mm-hmm. when it comes to salary in this field, but um, on Capitol Hill, um, Rep. Will Hurd is working on putting together a bill that would create what he is calling the Cyber National Guard, mm-hmm. where it would allow people to take tours of duty within the federal government uh, for cybersecurity purposes, where it would give them a chance to come help the government in, you know, where they need help and not commit to doing things for, you know, a decade, maybe two or three years, and then they can go back to the private sector with that added knowledge that comes from the government and triple their worth in the private sector. Um, and, and, and really, you know, it's sort of a win-win. The private sector gets somebody that has trained at the highest levels of technical data, and then the government gets to solve their cybersecurity workforce problem. So that is going to come. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we don't know what that is going to look like, and that needs to go through the legislative process. But there are people thinking about this right now and are trying to take action in order to help the government get away from this problem. Yeah, no, and I mean, it's a, it's a big problem. The private sector has it too. There's just not enough people doing this work. Uh, you know, requires, uh, you know, a certain mindset, a certain skill uh, level. Uh, there's probably not enough educational programs out there, at least, uh, in university environments out there to, to train the next generation. So I know there's a lot of, uh, variety of issue, uh, ways, uh, that that's being addressed. But, uh, you know, thank you for coming on talking about this. I want to hold you on for the next segment to talk about some Kaspersky news. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you're listening to Cyber Security Today Radio with your host, John Bamber. Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambadek will be right back. Back with Bambanek on cybersecurity. Thank you for sticking with us uh, through that commercial break, Greg. Absolutely. So a couple days ago, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported on an interesting uh, story uh, out of uh, Kaspersky uh, that at least the way the article was written uh, seems to imply that uh, the NSA exploits that got leaked on the Internet uh, happened because a contractor brought the, the files home, put it on their personal laptop. 
that had Kaspersky antivirus running, and that information uh, made its way back to Russia, at which point somebody specifically targeted said contractor to access this information. So uh, I, a lot of allegations and interesting uh, aspects of this story. So I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, you know, uh, you know, what do you think is uh, is actually the story here that's being reported? Well, I think the story that is being reported here ties uh, potentially, I can't say definitively because there are still some holes, but this is another step forward in tying uh, together a lot of the stories that we've been writing about over the past year. Um, This really is just another embarrassing breach for the NSA. You know, they've dealt with... Edward Snowden, Reality Winner, the Shadow Brokers, and uh, Harold Martin, all of this. And now this is just another story in which a contractor was playing fast and loose with highly, highly secretive uh, hacking tools that were developed for the NSA's use. And, you know, like the story says that if once this was found internally, that the people at the highest levels of government, um, then Secretary of Defense Ash Carter and uh, CIA chief, uh, I'm sorry, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, turned around and tried to get Admiral Mike Rogers, who's in charge of the NSA, tried to push him out the door because of this. That does not happen lightly. So when all of these incidents are stacked up and, you know, you're trying to remove a four-star or three or four-star general, I'm not entirely sure, but he's highly, Mike Rogers is highly decorated. So when you're trying to push somebody out the door like this, this is not a good look for the NSA. No, no, definitely not. And, and, and yeah, you mentioned just a series of just big breaches of data that just walked out the door and, you know, just entry level cybersecurity courses talk about, right, of managing people's ability to download stuff, put it on thumb drives and bring it home, because that's how incidents like Edward Snowden and Reality Winner and this story and Harold Martin and all of these major leaks happen, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, in the private sector, it'd be kind of a no brainer that people would get fired. Uh, over this. I mean, you know, how long did the CEO of Equifax last until he I mean, he got 90 million to retire, but at least he's not there anymore. Uh, you know, the people at the top, it doesn't seem like there's any real change happening at the NSA as as a result of these pretty embarrassing breaches. And it also speaks to all of the millions of dollars that goes into the insider threat um, idea really is is that, you know, there are all of these ways that we have to track behavioral analytics and, you know, figure out uh, access controls and all of the data that can, you know, that we can run profiles on against employees. That can only go so far. I mean, in, in one hand, you look at the reality winner case where there's no software that's going to prevent an employee from printing something off of a printer folding it up, sticking it in pantyhose and walking out the door or, you know, with the cases of what we're seeing with the, this data stuff, you know, are, are we going to check thumb drives and everybody's personal laptops and not just in, you know, Fort Meade or the other mm-hmm. uh, is in San Antonio in Hawaii, but all of the contractors that are doing CNE work for 
the NSA? Like, are, are they going to now all of a sudden need to be, you know, on the level of insider threat that we're seeing at the actual, um, you know, forts? It's just, it's, it's mind boggling to me that this insider threat thing seems to be on everybody's tongue when it comes to both mm-hmm. the public sector and the private sector. And it's just galling in that the millions of dollars and all of the lip service paid attention to it. And it doesn't seem like we're any closer to figuring out the insider threat problem. No, it's simple things like take Chelsea Manning, right? Uh, Army private who was accessing diplomatic cables all over the world, you know, had access, had, had, uh, you know, some security clearance, but had no real need to know for diplomatic cables out of the UK. I forget there was a station somewhere in the Middle East at the time when she was doing this. Um, you know, so I had no need for diplomatic cables from the U.S. Embassy in London, right? You know, I don't need behavioral analytics to know that that's a problem. Or right. hey, this top secret exploit stuff, which shouldn't be loaded to a thumb drive and brought home. I don't need behavioral analytics to find that. They're just people just need to mine the, sh- mine the shop. Um, and some basic stuff, you know, with Harold Martin, I think it's hard to, to correlate stuff for reality winner. You're right. Printing up a document, but even, uh, at least in, in military environments and, and heavily classified environments, uh, you know, there just aren't printers, you know, or, or documents are controlled and, uh, there's means to check whether somebody's smuggling paper in and out because that's what those facilities do. And if there's contractors processing the same class of data, uh, where you'd have those controls in government, you know, uh, it begs the question of why don't the contractors, uh, aren't they compelled to have the same kind of requirements? Absolutely. And I would not be surprised if we see some motion from Capitol Hill, whether it's on the Senate Intelligence Committee or mm-hmm. just, I mean, any senator or representative that, you know, has a stake in cybersecurity start to be very, very vocal about this. In that, you know, we talk about how just look at what happened with Equifax and the way that Capitol Hill has reacted pretty vigorously Mm -hmm. uh, with disdain for the practices of Equifax when it comes to cybersecurity. I would not be surprised if we start to see some of the same language talking about the protections that the NSA seemingly is very, very lax in. I mean, this is this is arguably more important to the security of the country than what was taken in Equifax. These are weapons mm-hmm. that we've been taken from the NSA. If hypothetically, you know, a nation state were to take, I don't know, 50 tanks, you know, from steal 50 tanks from the mm-hmm. country, that would be an, in, that would be page one and in, the entirety of Capitol Hill would be extremely angry over it. I, I think that you're going to start to see that language from Capitol Hill when it comes to these breaches from the NSA. Weapons are weapons. So right. There's going to need to come a time where the the anger over this needs to meet, you know, the violation or the action at hand. No, no, I think so. And right, we've seen the damage. Right, Wanna Cry was caused. Uh, was made possible with an NSA exploit, you know, that uh, where it was able to debilitate entire organizations, including the National Health Service in the UK, right? So, uh, you know, these are can cause real damage and real sabotage to critical infrastructure as healthcare is. Yeah, 
I, and I, I, I totally agree with you. So, look, we, we've seen the fallout over the past three or four years when all of these breaches happen, whether it's Snowden or whether it's the shadow brokers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just going to be another story that just has legs and has repercussions for the entire cybersecurity industry. No, definitely. So I, I know in my work, you know, if, if, if we've seen some impacts for it. Uh, certainly, uh, it just goes back to things that we've talked about in the 90s. We have the answers to these problems, right? We've, we've more or less solved them for 90, in the 90s. Uh, we just need, you know, the specifics of updating it. You know, I mean, how you update and harden an operating system has changed, but the need to do it and the need for access controls and the need for simple things uh, is true. The need for patching systems, which would have protected Equifax. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll hear more of this. I uh, would love to have you on again. Uh, talking about some of the great stuff that you're writing about and bringing to light over there at uh, cyberscoop.com. So thank you for joining us, Greg. Absolutely. Thank you, John. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Stay tuned for more from Bambanek on cybersecurity. Listening to John Bambanek, the most trusted name in cybersecurity. And welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. So, uh, a lot of great information there came from that, uh, that interview from Greg Otto. Did want to segue to a couple of things, uh, from that Wall Street Journal article and the coverage beyond it about Kaspersky. I know we've talked about it a little bit on the show. You've probably seen a little bit about it. Uh, Kaspersky is, uh, an antivirus company, a security company that is based in Russia, uh, sells products in the U.S. Uh, recently, uh, the Department of Homeland Security banned all Kaspersky products throughout the federal government. Best Buy has taken the product off its shelf. Uh, this article makes some accusation, right? The NSA contractor uh, took classified materials, brought it home, put it on his laptop that was running Kaspersky. Uh, Kaspersky then... Um, uh, there's some information sent back, uh, and uh, hackers in Russia got their hands on it, hacked that contractor, stole the information, uh, and started the chain of events that led to uh, these highly classified uh, NSA vulnerabilities uh, getting out into the wild, used in WannaCry and other attacks, right? So uh, it, it's written to be uh, sound a little bit nefarious, but to keep in mind, Microsoft window and uh, Microsoft Windows and all antivirus products, right? They're looking for every file on your computer for malware. In this case, you know, they've found the NSA's hacking tools, in essence, malware, uh, and reported back, hey, by the way, I found uh, this class of malware on this machine. Now, how others got their hands on this information, whether uh, the Russian government is wiretapping Kaspersky or whatever, uh, you know, that gave uh, information, enough information for targeting to say, hey, these exploits that have been affecting our networks, uh, we see malware with it in the United States near D.C., probably from a defense contractor. So let's go take a look at that. The information was stolen, right? We're actually getting to some actual technical information to to assess uh, really what the government is saying is, is the use of Kaspersky's products uh, really a threat? Are they actually working for the government? 
environment. We're actually getting to, to, to concrete uh, examples here, uh, leaked again, uh, of course, to the Wall Street Journal. But uh, all of these products send telemetry back. I work for a security company. If my product generates alerts uh, and you don't turn this feature off, I get some uh notice about that and some uh, information about it so that I can create new rules, get information about what criminals are up to, uh, to see what other uh, malware might be associated with it. It's very important uh, in the work of any security company to have that kind of information. So to uh, classify that as nefarious is to simply misunderstand uh, what we do as, as security companies. This is information that's critical to our research that, so that we can better uh, protect our users. Uh, and certainly, I think I've made reference to this before. There's a virus submission service called VirusTotal, VirusTotal.com. If you think something is a computer virus, you get a malicious attachment in email. You can uh, upload that to VirusTotal. It'll scan it by over 50 antivirus engines uh, and give you a rating. Now, the downside is anything uploaded to VirusTotal can then be uh, downloaded by others who pay for a subscription because, again, uh, I'm working at a security company. Seeing new malware out there so I can create new detections to detect the latest threats is very important, right? Uh, you know, nobody, nobody pays me money to protect against last month's malware. They want to be protected against today's malware. Uh, the reality is a lot of classified information ends up on VirusTotal as a result. You know, I've seen it, reported it to the FBI. Uh, but a lot of information leaks out there. So the important things for you to keep in mind is to know how your security tools are using your information, where it's going. They have to disclose it to you. They may not necessarily make it easy to find, but certainly you'll see it in an, in an end user license agreement or something. Uh, so be aware how this information uh, can get used and transmitted. Uh, Microsoft Windows does a lot about this uh, this telemetry also, uh, so that you can take steps uh, that if you're concerned about uh, document files or whatever somehow ending up in a malware repository, you can take steps to prevent that from happening. You know, I say it almost every show. There's no one out there that's going to protect your privacy but yourself. Uh, figure out what your products are doing. Be informed. See how you can turn things down uh, that you don't want to uh, if you really want to protect your information. So it, it's key that you take your own steps uh, to protect yourself. So, um, you know, that's uh, the story there you see about Kaspersky. I'm sure we'll talk more about it in the coming uh, coming weeks as more, more gets released. Uh, but certainly I'm not seeing much there. That that's really any kind of smoking gun, uh, you know, a little bit of sensationalized writing, but nothing there that really says uh, Kaspersky is under the thumb of the FSB in Russia. It may be true. It may not. There's just uh, no evidence to substantiate the claim. Uh, but an interesting anecdote, if you want to learn about the malware the Russian government is using to hack others, Kaspersky is actually one of the best resources because they do a lot of reporting on Russian uh, state-sponsored hacking in malware and produce a lot of great research. So uh, certainly uh, they have a history of uh, what in effect is blowing the whistle on Russian hacking uh, to uh, to the world. So uh, as just kind of an interesting aside to that story. Moving on to the last item I want to uh, to cover, going back to the Yahoo breach. I know we talked about this earlier this year. Uh, as many of you know, 2013, 1 billion Yahoo accounts were potentially compromised. They forced uh, an enterprise-wide password reset on all users. Uh, there's no way to know, really. 
uh, whose emails were accessed or what was done with that information. You know, it's once somebody downloads your your email, right, it's gone forever. Uh, there were some accusations uh, by the intelligence community, our intelligence community anyway, that uh, there was uh, some Russian espionage aspects to this or at least something along the lines of, you know, Russian intelligence going to whoever the hacker was and saying, hey, by the way, uh, if you see any, uh, get access to any of these accounts that are of interest to us, please let us know. Uh, I know last week, week we talked about private email uh, by used by government officials. Uh, I believe the former head of the CIA used Yahoo uh, as a personal email. Others did too. So potentially things of a very sensitive nature can get co- could have been compromised in this case. And certainly these kind of breach- breaches are useful for intelligence agencies also looking to engage in uh, a collection against their adversaries. Right. But the update, the news this week was that uh, very quietly, you know, they kind of released an update uh, to the story that they're considering now that every single Yahoo email account uh, was impacted with this breach. Doesn't mean necessarily your email was downloaded, uh, but the accounts uh, in their entirety were compromised. So, um, you know, Yahoo's still trying to figure out what happened. It's 2017. This this hack was in 2013. Uh, but, uh, you know, at this point, probably the hugest breach in history of 3 billion user accounts of emails, many of which people had uh, kept emails for five, ten years uh, in length, right? You know, whenever you have free email, you never delete anything. So people have, you know, entire emails for years gone by. Uh, so potentially all of that can be compromised. There's no way to know exactly which of your emails were leaked or not. But now they're saying basically uh, they believe every account in their system was compromised in 2013. So uh, some pretty big news there. Uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, the fallout from Yahoo and that breach uh, has come and gone. Yahoo has since been sold to Verizon. It's now part of Verizon's oath. Um, the former CEO of Yahoo is uh, I don't know if she's Marissa, Marissa Page. I don't know if she's been pushed out or uh, is pending leaving, uh, but certainly was once considered a rising star and her career is more or less over. So uh, going back to my earlier point right there, there often can be implications, professional implications uh, if you don't do cybersecurity correctly. So if there's any more updates, that story will let you know, right? But you know, there's a lot of talk earlier in the year about it. Uh, most people have kind of forgotten about it because so many other breaches have happened since then. And you know what? I'm sure in the coming months, we'll have more big breaches to talk about. And we'll be right here telling you what you need to know to protect you, yourself, and your family. Coming to the end of our hour here, uh, do want to thank our uh, broadcast affiliates, AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Please do check out our website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at CyberSec Radio or my personal Twitter account at Bambenek, B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K. And uh, at email, johnbambanekradio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. As always, you know, hope you enjoyed the show. A lot of good content from our uh, our digital partner, cyberscoop.com. Uh, do check out their website to see what other stories they're covering. Uh, you know, if you're in the D.C. area, I know they're having a, a Cyber Talks 
uh, conference uh, in D.C. around October 18th. Uh, so if you're in there, uh, go ahead, check that out. There should be some good information there uh, that uh, you can learn to protect yourself, your family, and your small business. So that's all we've got for now. Hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend, and please tune in next week for our next episode of Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you.